heading in my Bible says, Jesus changes water to wine. And that's a good brief description of what happens in verses 1 through 11. This is God's holy and infallible word, John 2 verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time is not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. That is God's word for us this morning. What John gives us here is the very first of Jesus' miracles. We talk about miracles, um, we should be very aware that God can do miracles at any time, any time he chooses, but he seems to have chosen especially key points in the history of salvation to do them. Uh, For example, a couple of those key periods that we read about were in the Bible, the Exodus from Egypt, and there was a whole series of miracles around that time. And then when the people, uh, a number of decades later, entered into the promised land, that was a special time. Miraculous things happened, the crossing of the Jordan River into the promised land, Jericho and all the rest. And there were also many, many miracles during Jesus' ministry on earth that we read about in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The wedding is in the town of Cana. John is the only gospel writer who mentions this town. Weddings were often, almost always on Wednesdays of all things. I don't really know why, but they were almost always on Wednesdays, so this miracle was likely done on a Wednesday. Wedding ceremonies were decently simple. The feasting could go on for days, but the ceremony itself was pretty simple. The the groom would declare the woman as his wife, And he would declare her his wife for eternity. Also, most likely we think, and you think of back to the book of Ruth, there was in the ceremony sort of the symbolic act of the man covering his bride with a corner of his garment. And that would show that she was now under his protection, that it was his responsibility to provide for her. Jesus did not crash this wedding. We read that he was invited. But we're not told what his connection was to the bride or groom. Now, Cana is in Galilee. 
the same as Nazareth, Jesus' hometown in that northern part of Israel. So these may very well have been family friends from way back. Um, And the reason we think that is because his mom was there too, right? So at the very end of the miracle, we read that this was the first of Jesus' miraculous signs. It tells us something pretty important. Miracles are actual literal events that happened. And we want to be clear about that as a church and affirm that. But they're also symbolic. Miracles are signs. They point to something. There are just eight miracles mentioned in the book of John. And time and again, he says that. He reminds us they are signs. That means each one is to point to something. Each one has a specific purpose. So our job when we get up to this part of John now is to figure out the purpose of this sign, this miraculous sign, right? Why is it here? Why did John include it? We don't have to search too hard to find it, right? Verse 11, Jesus thus revealed his glory. And then it says also, and his disciples put their faith in him. So this miracle reveals to us the glory of Jesus so we could put our faith in him. And that's really connected to the goal of John's whole book. And that it's a very evangelistic goal that people would believe in Jesus, that every one of us listening would put our faith in him. So this miracle shows us Jesus' glory for our benefit in four ways specifically. I'm going to tick them off now, and you're going to see them up front, and then we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit. We see the glory in here of a better creation. We see the glory of a deeper joy. We've got the glory of an everlasting cleansing. And we've got the glory in this miracle of a superior provision. But the true glory is in the fact that these four truths are for you and they're for me personally today. Just a week ago, a week and a day ago, I had the privilege uh, once again of participating in in a wedding of a faith church family. And and just in case you wondered, it's a real it's a real privilege for a pastor, and, and, and Sarah, my wife, is always there as well. It's a real privilege uh, to be involved. You know, we go through uh, such challenging and hard times together, and as a pastor, I'm, I'm involved in that a lot of times with, with households, and that's, that's good. But it, it's, also, it's also pretty special uh, to be at, at joyful big occasions with you all, too. Um, and we had a, a joyful time Saturday, and then there was the reception, and, and this reception was pretty unique. It was uh, a wedding of the Engel family, and there may have been rumors going about about how awesome it was. Well, the rumors are true. It was pretty awesome. It was a pretty cool, unique reception. Um, and of course, all weddings are very special celebrations. Everything is so beautiful. You've got the happy couple. They're all aglow. They're in love. There's smiles. There's kisses. There's good food and fellowship. 
And then to think that the Bible describes, you know, heaven as the ultimate wedding reception when it talks about the wedding banquet of the Lamb, right? And the Bible uses marriage to talk to you and me about our relationship with Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus is the bridegroom and we are his bride. And and I think that's really good to be aware of or bring to mind. Maybe you were never aware of that comparison. Maybe it's not something you think about every day, but it, it comes up a lot in the Bible. This very, I mean, this is the most intimate and tender language that you could use, right? When you talk about a husband and wife, the consummation of marriage, God wants you to think of your relationship with Jesus in that special, tender, intimate way. This isn't not making up, hey, it'd be cool think of Jesus as a groom, as a bridegroom, and you're the bride. I'm not making it up. The Bible gives us that picture language. And I think there's a reason that this is the first miracle, Jesus at a wedding. And it's because it brings to our minds the most important thing, really, and I'm not backing down from this, it brings to mind the most important thing in all of history. And you know what that is? It's the relationship between God and his people made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I believe there's a reason this is the first miracle, because it brings that most special thing in all of history to mind, the relationship between God and us, his people, through Jesus. And you know, God is the initiator in this special relationship. There are limitations to every illustration or picture, right? Um, God is very clearly the initiator. It's not an equal relationship like husband and wife. Before we, the bride, make a commitment, Jesus makes promises to us in his sovereign and perfect and unconditional love. Thank the Lord Because on our own, we would bail from this relationship. Our commitment in the relationship is less than it should be. But our bridegroom says to us, unfaithful though we sometimes are to him, you belong to me. I'm sticking with you. And in this miracle, what I believe we have are four glorious vows that Jesus, the bridegroom, makes to his bride. And I want to share those vows with you during the rest of our time today. Boys and girls, vows, that's another word for promises. Vow is the word we use. Well, Bruce and Dee Dee made vows. That's the same as they made promises. And we talk about husbands and wife on their wedding day. They make vows or promises. Jesus makes four vows to you today. And that's what we're going to talk about. Vow number one, I will give you new life. 
Jesus vows this to you and to me today. I will give you new life. John already showed us that Jesus is the creator. Remember that back at the beginning in John? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. That's talking about Jesus. Now, in chapter 2, we're seeing some concrete proof of that. Because what does Jesus do? Well, he's showing us his power over creation. He's in charge. He does in one moment what normally takes, I don't know what the minimum amount of time it takes for wine, to, for grape juice to ferment, but I mean, normally it's, it's for sure months, and a lot of the best stuff, right, is years and years. So he does in a single moment what takes months and years in creation naturally. Also, by being present at a wedding, Jesus is putting his blessing on the institution of marriage, an institution that he created in the first place, right? In the beginning with Adam and Eve. Now, creation, including marriage, it has all been marred by the fall, by sin. And we suffer under the weight of that, and we struggle. And, and speaking of marriage, some of us are struggling this morning under the weight of a challenging marriage today. Some of us are struggling with the weight of a marriage that has failed in our past. But in Jesus... There is recreation. There's new life. And that's part of John's whole connection with creation. Did you know that John even has seven days here, just like in Genesis 1? You can follow along from John 1 up until now, and he says, the next day and the next day and the next day, all the way up to our verse, 2 verse 1, and we see that this is the seventh of those days that he keeps saying the next day. And he's doing it very deliberately, and he's reminding us of the seven days of creation. And we're being reminded of creation to be shown something even better and greater and more miraculous. In Jesus, there is a new creation. Creation that has been marred and twisted by sin, it's restored in Jesus and it's improved. So Jesus vows to you today, I will give you in me a new life. You can have a new start. You can have a better way to approach things like marriage and like all your relationships in your entire life in me. Second, Jesus vows that he will give us a deeper joy today. Wine is a symbol of joy everywhere you find it in the Bible. Certain folks, uh, certain Christians, well, Baptists, will tend to spend a lot of time on this sermon talking about wine. And, and talking about how this really isn't wine or something like that or, or trying to work around that. But it was wine. And, you know, because of the great potential for alcohol to mess up people's lives, I want to add very quickly here, 
a reminder of the Bible's warnings about abusing alcohol, because we need to hear that. For some people, it really is best not to have it at all in their life. And you know, that's why we have grape juice at the center of our communion trays at faith. But in itself, wine is not a bad thing, and it can certainly be used by Christians. Well, wine is a symbol of joy in the Bible. And John is telling us that Life in Jesus is one of joy. The religion of the day was a Judaism gone cold and lifeless. The joy had gone away, and it was all empty forms. It was all empty ceremonies. People were lost and wandering, didn't know which way to go. We talked about that in John 1, 19 and following. He makes it really clear. The religious leaders of the day even were lost. A.W. Pink is one of the writers that I'm reading a lot of for this John series, and he says what was going on in that day in Judaism, he says it was a cold, mechanical routine, destitute of joy in God lacking any joy in God. And and here's the reality. That is true of all religion if Jesus Christ is not at the center. Apart from him, religion is drudgery, it's tradition, it's obligations. But that's not true with the Christian life. That's not true of our faith in Jesus. Like no wine would have sapped the joy out of that reception No, Jesus saps the joy out of our lives. But with Jesus comes great joy. People who know Jesus and believe in him will have a deeper joy than can be found anywhere else. I'm not saying Christians will necessarily have to be peppy all the time or that Christians have to ignore the hard things in life. But we will be happy and joyful, positive, thankful for the blessings? Do others see the joy in your life? Think about that. Do others see the joy of Jesus in your life, friends? Are we a joyful people? Are we a joyful church? Well, Jesus brings a deeper joy than anything this world can offer, and you can live in that deeper joy, and you can live it out. Third, Jesus vows, I will make you whiter than snow. In other words, he cleanses us. These six stone water barrels are significant, and they had to do with Jewish ceremonial cleansings. They're significant and important because John stops to tell us that they're the kind of barrels used for ceremonial washing, right? They were a decent size, 20 to 30 gallons each, and that was because there were a bunch of people at the reception. You see, according to the Jews, you became defiled. People were defiled by just going through life every day. This wasn't just about the dust on their feet from the dirty roads. No, spiritually, they believed, you became defiled every day, and you had to regularly be cleansed with this ceremonial water. 
Jesus uses these ceremonial jars and he does something miraculous with them. He puts something in them that's even better than the water, right? The Bible says that we are dirty. That's what sin does. No one likes to think that. No one likes to say it. And there are even churches today that want to shy away from that. But it's true. And if we ignore that fact, we are fooling ourselves. The reality is that we are dirty from sin. And there's no other religion, there's no other philosophical idea, there's no other faith that can bring the cleansing but faith in Jesus Christ. These purification ceremonies of Israel had to be done day after day after day. And they had to be done every day because they were never complete. They never were finished. They never were sufficient. But Jesus came to take care of the stains of sin once and for all through his blood, through his death and resurrection. And when you belong to him, you're clean. I mentioned just a minute ago that some people maybe try to ignore the fact that they're dirty. But also some people on the other side of it, and maybe this is you today, some of you actually feel very dirty and ashamed because of your sins. And, and the Lord is, just impresses that on you, and you feel guilty. But the Bible tells us that in Jesus we have cleansing of all our sins, even the very dirtiest of your sins that you can imagine. We have cleansing in Jesus. You can be whiter than snow. That's a vow that Jesus makes when you belong to him. It's, and get this, it's for all those past sins. It's for your sins today. And you know how complete the washing in the blood of Jesus is? This covers all the sins you will ever commit in the future, too. That is how complete and sufficient cleansing in Jesus Christ is. Finally, fourth, Jesus promises this. I will fill you to overflowing. And another way we can put that is, he says, I will provide for you completely. The drive for husbands throughout history has been to be able to provide for their wife, their family, if they have one. And here, the husband, the bridegroom, cannot provide. The wine has run out. What the human bridegroom can't provide, the heavenly bridegroom, Jesus, does. And it's significant, he not only provides but he provides the very best, right? The best wine. And he provides the very best for you and me today, too. The Bible, and we're going to see this actually in John especially, the Bible reminds us that Jesus and Jesus alone will bring true satisfaction and fill our deepest needs and longings. The things of this world when we use them to try to fill ultimate needs, 
will leave us wanting more. Jesus, though, fulfills. And we're called to turn from seeking fulfillment in the things of the old order, the old creation, and turn to Jesus. So that's what I wanted to share with you this morning. These four glorious promises that Jesus makes to each one of us, to each one of his children. I will give you new life. I will give you a deeper joy. I will make you whiter than snow. I will fill you to overflowing. Aren't those glorious promises? Now you might say, but sometimes I fall into old ways of living, and sometimes those things are attractive to me. And sometimes I frankly don't feel the joy, and, and there those times I don't feel clean. Sometimes I don't feel completely satisfied. If that's true, I think you experience something that every believer of Jesus does sometimes. And the reality is that we have these promises, these vows. They are real. They are for your life now. But we don't have them yet in full measure. There is still sin in this world and in our lives. There is still struggle. And you know what that should do is point us to a greater day and a greater time that the Bible says is coming. One day, the heavenly bridegroom will meet his bride, his people, each one of us face to face when he returns on the clouds at the second coming. We'll be ushered into eternity and we'll feast, we'll celebrate, we'll honor him, and we will experience all his blessings and promises in full and perfect measure in a way that we can't even grasp now on earth. Like an engaged couple can't wait for their wedding day, we look ahead for the wedding banquet of Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom. In the meantime, own these promises. Own them. I believe the best ways you can do that are by staying close to the bridegroom in your life, staying close to Jesus, staying close to his bride, the church, then you can enjoy the privileges of being his bride. Then you can live on these promises and you can truly experience them. And let us introduce as many people to Jesus as we can so they can enjoy these glorious promises today too and so that they can be among the guests with us at this great wedding banquet in heaven. May we do that. May we experience the promises of Jesus. May you experience them. And may we bring many to know those promises for their very own as well.